is Bloomberg Surveillance. There's a road that's opened up now with the British decision to leave that could lead to a better Europe, a more prosperous Europe. They'll have to navigate a political crisis. They'll have to figure out who the next prime minister might be, and that's not really clear. I think we can think of this as essentially a decreasing relationship with economic distance. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street and in Washington, D.C., where Tom Keene and I are presenting a special edition of Surveillance live from the capital of the United States. Later in the program, Tom, an extended interview with former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan about Brexit, central banks, and the American economy. Extraordinary good fortune to speak to Chairman Greenspan. You and I know he's been cautious uh, for months. I would suggest it's even increased as you can understand, when you look at the screen this morning, Mike, at 7 a.m., you always go through the data. Why don't you do that? And I'll jump in with a few observations. I'll just start with the fact equities deteriorate. It is a, it is a, a, a downtrend since the, um, volume started to pick up as more people yeah. get to their trading desks. Uh, although, um, and we should note it's noon in London, so people have been trading for a while. Uh, it has been more of a grind lower, nothing like the plunge on Friday. Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, out today saying uh, the government has a contingency place in plan to shore up the uh, US, U.K. economy. Not convincing people. The pound right now at 132.10, off its lows but below Friday's And we're, we're on a 131 handle watch yeah. there. I mean, the vectors are all in the wrong direction, but as Mike says, without the enthusiasm and angst that we saw on Friday. The FTSE is down 1.7%, 102 points right now. The volume of European shares changing hands almost three times the 30-day wow. average. For British equities, more than uh, uh, three times as well. British banks helping to put the... Uh, European Bank Index on course for its biggest two-day drop on record. It is now down by 7.2% on the day. And you were uh, mentioning some of the European banks, Deutsche Bank getting hammered again, down 9.4% to uh, 12 euros, just just over 12 euros now. Let's color that, and just breaking down to a new low, 12.19 on euros. Let's color the trend of Deutsche Bank as a proxy for our global Wall Street audience, particularly the American audience in drive time. Down we go. At 5 a.m., there was the McKee bounce. Yeah. <laughs> there was the McKee so bounce. Briefly. And then it just didn't happen. And then another bounce. Let me get my official Bloomberg right. surveillance cursor out here. At about 6.18 a.m., Wall Street time, up we go a little bit. And, Mike, as we go to the opening of the show... It ain't happening for the European banks. Well, let's set it up now for the rest of the markets. The stock 600 is down by 3% right now, a little over 9 points. The DAX in Germany is off 180 points, 1.9%. Here in the U.S., S&P futures are off by 14, 7 tenths. It's a 7 tenths decline for Dow futures. They're down 117. And NASDAQ e-mini futures are off 34 points. Eight tenths of a percent. The euro trading at one ten sixteen right now is down nine tenths. It's been as low as one oh nine eighty four. We'll keep an eye on that. The yen one oh one sixty four is weaker still today, and that is in contrast to the Nikkei, which is the one major stock market in the world that was up today by about two point four percent, three hundred and fifty seven points. Ten year note yield in the United States one point four seven percent. The five-year one even 
and 57 basis points for the two-year note yield. In the United Kingdom, the two-year is going for 15 basis points, and the uh, 10-year note yield is at 95 basis points. It's broken down below 1% on the day. So the question is, where do we go from here? Is this a tipping point into a greater global slowdown and recession? Sebastian Malaby is Senior Fellow for International Economics at the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, Sebastian, you are raising that question of whether the whole Eurozone, whether the whole EU, and what that means for the global economy. Yes, thank you. My sense is really that for the UK economy, the uh, extreme uncertainty, which has only gotten worse over the weekend with turmoil in both political parties, not just the ruling Conservative Party, um, that, that uncertainty looks like it's going to be deep and it's going to be prolonged. And I can't see any other likelihood than that it's going to really kill corporate investment, which was already down before the vote, uh, and that's going to have knock-on consequences for the UK economy. Uh, and so I, I'm very pessimistic about that. I think when it comes to the euro, uh, you've got a very determined central bank, which has passed the um, credibility test with Greece more than once and held the system together. I think there's going to be new stresses and new challenges for the central bank in an environment where they use a lot of policy ammunition already. Um, but I think, you know, you have to look at yesterday's Spanish vote, which uh, the election there could have been worse. It could have produced a bigger result for yeah. the left-wing neo-Marxists. Um, so you need another political shock, I think, within the Eurozone for this to get scary for the European Central Bank. That, that, that should reassure you a little bit, the Spanish elections. It tells you that it isn't a uniform, knee-jerk populist response to what's going on. Right. Coming off the British vote, there were as many as seven countries uh, in the rest of the European Union where somebody or other in politics was demanding an immediate referendum to copy the British one. The question is whether those demands and those pressures um, actually produce results. I mean, will there be votes of this sort? And the one vote that was scheduled, which was the, the Spanish election, um, Europe has sailed through relatively unscathed. Sebastian Malaby with us as we begin our coverage this hour. Bloomberg Surveillance from Washington, brought to you by Invesco. Invesco's high-conviction factor-based strategies can help investors focus on a high-quality, low-volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco.com slash high-conviction. Sebastian Malaby with us with his magnificent book on the hedge fund business, uh, the idea of his work uh, in terms of uh, being a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize uh, twice. But far more importantly, Sebastian, your father, Sir Christopher, as ambassador to Germany uh, and indeed ambassador to France, you have a continental U.K. perspective as a child, which you've always brought forward in your work. The diplomacy here is about dialogue. Well, that dialogue, you know, flinty is the word we use right now. Are we going to have a flinty dialogue that Sir Christopher never saw? <laughs> uh, I think Sir Christopher, who is now um, 80 years old almost, uh, he'll, his birthday will be next week, um, is feeling a bit depressed that his uh, life's work of uh, British diplomacy and integration with the rest of the world has been dealt a, a very severe setback. Um, I think that um, the problem right now is not whether it's flinty or whatever. It's just that there's no, not going to be any dialogue initially because the interlocutors have no idea what they're going to say. The 
kind of disarray politically within the Leave camp in Britain is so deep that they don't know what they want. Do they want to have more migration on a points-based system, which is what sort of, you know, open to the world side of their movement wanted, or do they want less migration? Do they want, you know, um, uh, are they going to take the budget savings from sending money to Brussels and spend it on the National Health Service, or are they going to cut government? Right, Um, but on this Monday morning when there's a Bloomberg headline that Juncker will not resign, that gets my attention. Explain to us European federalism. This is not Alexander Hamilton, is it? Yeah, I mean, the paradox of European federalism is that really nobody wants it anymore. Um, uh, You know, I mean, the political temperature in Europe has gone against it completely. But there's still a kind of technocratic logic that says when you've got a single currency for 19 of the countries, um, they need to integrate fiscally. They need to coordinate taxes and spending and bank bailout funds and so forth. And that pushes the system towards deeper integration, even when politically it's toxic. Can it be done? Or can the U- I guess the question, and this is a longer question. We've only got a minute left here before we have to take a break. We'll come back and, and explore this in more depth. But um, can the integration of Europe on a trade and business basis continue as it is? Or do they have to do something like go back to... Uh, individual currencies so that they don't have this fiscal overhang. That's a really important question. You can't go forward and you can't go back. I mean, that's the truth of it. Exiting the euro once you've denominated every single contract in your economy in euros is so catastrophically painful that Greece looked at that and decided not to do it. It did it twice. So, I mean, going back out of the euro is prohibitively painful, but going forward into integration is not something people are ready to do. So, I mean, we're stuck. And uh, that is, I mean, I think the, the, the upshot of that is a long period of muddle and slow growth and sort of the Japanization of the Eurozone. Well, well, we'll come back with Sebastian Melli. I was going to put a very blunt question to you, uh, Sebastian, which I'll hold until we come back. Tom Keene and I are live in Washington, D.C., a special edition of Bloomberg Surveillance today as we keep track of what is happening in the United States and around the world post-Brexit. Tom Peter Dieteris from our data team has a fascinating uh, bit of information here. The last time the pound was at this level, in 1985, the S&P was 183. Well, that would be a bear market if we got back to that. <laughs> we have the vectors in the wrong direction, folks, not the panic that we've seen yesterday. Futures, negative 13. Dow futures, negative 112. From Washington, Bloomberg Surveillance. All right, let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. British Prime Minister David Cameron will address Parliament today. Last week's vote for Britain to leave the European Union has left the U.K. looking rudderless. The attempt by opposition Labour Party lawmakers to throw their leader, Jeremy Corbyn, out comes on the heels of Prime Minister Cameron announcing he will step down by October. A new round of flooding is possible in West Virginia and the same area where at least 25 people died in the past week. More heavy rains are forecast, and that has prompted a flash flood watch for more than 20 counties. Firefighters advanced on a wildfire in central California that has killed two people and destroyed about 200 homes. Fire officials say the blaze that has charred about 68 square miles is about 40% contained. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Mike Labar. This is Bloomberg. Mike, Tom? 
And, Michael, thanks so much. Thank you so much for your comments of our work over the weekend. Michael and I really appreciate that. We are in Washington later this morning, a conversation with Alan Greenspan. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. At 9 a.m. this morning, the former Fed chairman will join Tom and me from this Bloomberg Special Edition, Washington, D.C., live on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty, providers of 100% satisfaction guaranteed New York City realty investments. See them at nria.net. Medtronic says it'll buy Hardware International of Framingham, Massachusetts for about $1.1 billion. Shares of European banks are trading lower this morning following Thursday's historic vote for the U.K. to leave the European Union. U.K. domestic banks are leading declines in the stock 600 as analysts on both sides of the Atlantic cut earnings estimates for the biggest investment banks on the expectation that security sales and major deals will be thwarted by economic and political uncertainty and currency swings. Again, stocks in Europe are lower with the DAX in Germany down 2%, CAC in Paris down 1.9%, FTSE 100 down 1.6%, U.S. stock index futures declining with S&P E-mini futures down 15 points, Dow E-mini futures down 126, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down about 37, 10-year treasury up 26, 30 seconds, the yield 1.46%, NYMEX crude oil down 1% or 47 cents to 47.19 a barrel, COMEX gold up a tenth percent or $10.70 to 13.33 10 an ounce, the euro $1.1004, the British pound $1.3206, the yen 101.62. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Michael McKee and Tom Keen in Washington will be speaking later today with uh, Madeline Albright and also uh, with Alan Greenspan. Right now, Sebastian Malaby, in the spirit of his hugely awaited book of October, The Man Who Knew the Life and Times of Alan Greenspan, uh, and with agreement with his publisher, will not speak in detail about the book. They're keeping that under wraps. I guess we could ask uh, Sebastian who will play Alan Greenspan in the movie, but let's keep that, let's keep away from that. Sebastian, are central bankers today different? Have they moved on to a new process that is removed from the older bankers? Sorry, I was, I was trying to say there that uh, you, maybe you, Tom, could play Alan Greenspan in the movie. I don't. I, I, I don't. I'm too well, tall. Sometimes it's just and hard to clarinet, understand you. And my, yes, that's true. That's true. I, I'm presciently uh, unintelligible, but I don't play clarinet like the chairman. <laughs> are, are the bankers today, Sebastian, are, are they a whole new breed because of news flow, globalization of finance? Is it just a whole new game? Well, I mean, relative to uh, back when Alan Greenspan was starting out his public life in the late 60s, yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, he became Nixon's advisor in the late 60s at a time when the dollar was pegged to gold. There were no financial derivatives. Banking was regulated. Interest rates were capped. We had regulation Q. And then during his public life of four decades, you go right up to the eve of the financial crash in 2007-8, and so if you want to understand the making of modern finance, you know, he's the guy who was at the center more than anybody else. He, for years, and, and I covered him for years, was insistent on the ability to use human discretion in deciding what monetary policy should be. 
and even fiscal reactions to uh, downturns. Is that uh, still a viable theory, or uh, there's a big move to try to push for uh, rules-based um, policy making? Uh, is is Greenspan still the best way to to make policy? Well, you know, here I'm going to um, push us back onto current events in order not to bring down the fury of my publisher too much. But I think that this question about discretion in central banking uh, may be facing an interesting test right now because uh, you've had this big market shock, as you've been reporting. Sterling is down to, uh, you know, the lowest it's been mm-hmm. in 30 years. Um, how do central bankers respond to that? And my guess is that there's some overt um, you know, a sort of lender of last resort, liquidity provision, trying to stabilize all those banks whose shares have been falling today, as you've been saying. Uh, so that's the thing that they're kind of quite open about. Uh, there's also going to be, I think, some exchange rate management, um, which they may not be quite so open about because you create a one-way bet for traders if you're obviously defending a level. So there may be some covert defense of levels going on. The Swiss central bank is the only one I'm aware of that's been open in saying it's trying to prevent the Swiss franc from appreciating too much. Uh, but when you see the Japanese yen, uh, you know, falling today as opposed to rising, I mean, I immediately uh, imagine that, you know, that's the Bank of Japan acting. Well, you you end up then with the fiscal authorities who are refusing to act. So to take us back to Europe, and the question I wanted to ask you before the break, has the Eurozone failed? I mean, I think it, it, it's... It's a fail. Yes, it's failed, um, and it's locked countries into this rigid straitjacket where you know Greece needs a totally different interest rate structure than what Germany wants, and Greece can't get out of it. Now the problem is that you know getting out is even more painful, and so I think Europe has to live in this straitjacket, uncomfortable though it is. And I, I just don't see, I don't see an alternative to a painful, slow grind of muddling through that's just mm. going to be quite depressing. Uh, Sebastian, I was in Mayfair the other day uh, after the referendum looking at numb hedge fund people. You are the authority on this, your wonderful book, uh, More Money Than God. Is the hedge fund game over? You know, I also was with a bunch of very smart hedge fund people uh, right on the day before the vote and the day of the result. Um, and everybody expected, especially when Sterling was rising on the Thursday of the vote, that, you know, this was a done deal, we were going to vote to stay in, and the shock the next morning was quite palpable. Uh, of course, those smart people have got a scenario for even stuff they don't expect, so I think it was quite remarkable to see people, you know, I was at a conference, people were still, you know, showing up to the events, they were trading, but they kind of had their strategy fixed in advance, they didn't have to do much more than just press the hit button, the send button. I, I get different opinions, you know, when I talk to my friends in the industry as to whether the markets, whether whether the industry is um, in some sort of serious decline. I mean, I think what's clear is that in a low interest rate environment where, you know, returns on most assets are going to be very low, you're doing pretty well if you're making 6 7% a year, and yet yeah. that doesn't support the 2 and 20 traditional <clears throat> fee structure. If you take two of the seven right off the bat and then you take 20% of the, of the, of the remainder – the hedge fund uh, deal with the outside exactly. partner that has to be renegotiated, yeah. and I think that's one well, pressure on the on the industry. 
Uh, Sebastian Malaby, uh, with the Council on Foreign Relations, among other gifts, again, his book, The Man Who Knew the Life and Times of Alan Greenspan, eagerly awaited for the fall. Michael McKeon, Tom Keene, we are in Washington, a conversation later with Alan Greenspan. Good morning. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Willoughby's. It's 1898. New York City's boutique camera store for precision-crafted Hasselblad Leica cameras, plus a full selection of GoPro action adventure cameras. Willoughby's, corner 5th Avenue and 31st Street.